All right, let's go ahead and turn over to Proverbs chapter number 11. Proverbs chapter number 11, as we continue our study through the Proverbs, we're going to be looking tonight at verses 23 through 31. Proverbs chapter number 11, verses 23 through 31. And tonight I want us to consider uh, a very simple title tonight, but I think very fitting. Uh, Simply we want to consider the subject of the life of the believer. The life of the believer. If you look with me in Proverbs chapter 11, look with me at verse 23. Proverbs 11, verse number 23. The Bible says this, The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Notice with me that expression. The desire of the righteous is only good. Or we might phrase it this way. The desire of the righteous is only on what is good. For those who are believers, for those who are the called, those who are the righteous, the object of our desire ought to be to do good. It ought to have a desire for good things. We ought to have a longing for things which are good. Now here is the paradox in this. We ought to desire good, but we don't always do good. The righteous, the believer, should always have a desire to do good. But again, we don't always do what we should do. To do good means we delight in God's law. We delight in God's word. We delight in the reality that we serve a God who is righteous, who is holy, and we desire to be good men and good women. We only know that our goodness is only because of the goodness in which God has given to us. Goodness, even in and of itself, is not something that we generate. It's not something that we can become on our own. A man cannot even will himself to be good. But those who are believers, the Bible says the righteous, the desire of the righteous is that we desire to serve he which is good, to serve him with our mind, our will, our affections. All of our desires should be to the Lord. And it's because we remember who he is and remember what we once were. To desire good means we want God's favor. I have never met a believer, I never met a Christian who does not want God's favor. I've never met a believer that says, listen, I want things from God, but I do not want God's favor. The righteous want God's favor. The righteous want God's love. And the righteous are longing for communion with God. We love the grace that God gives us. We desire good things, things that are spiritual, things that are not only just for our good, but for the good of others. We're learning in this hour how to look out for the good of not just ourselves, but the good of others. In order to do good, we have to be submitted to he who is good, God who is good. Submitted to His will. 
We're going to be examining this tonight with this in mind about being in the life of the believer that it is goodness in which we desire. It is goodness in which we pray for. It is goodness in which we wish and we are, we are intending to have witnessed in our life. Now here's the problem. We still have desires and things which are not good. All of us do. We have times when we, we fall into that old way of life. We fall into the, the ways of the unbeliever. Even though we have been regenerated, even though we've been converted, even though we are, we are not the same, we are still growing in this process of sanctification. We're still being conformed into the image of Christ. So we've got to be very careful tonight to understand that this is all part of sanctification. This is all part of growing in the things of God. Now, even though we don't always do that which is good, even though we don't always act as we should, we need to understand that the desire of every believer ought to be tonight that I only want that which is good according to who God is. Now, we're going to look tonight at verses 23 through 31. I want to look at three headings tonight. First of all, we're going to expound more on the desire of the righteous is only good. That's in verses 23 through 27. The second heading is found in verses 28 through 29, and we'll look at the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And then the third heading we'll look at is the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, verses 30 through 31. What I want to do tonight is as we read each verse, I want to just give you uh, what I'm, I'm just going to, to call it a paraphrase, if I can use that expression, and then we'll expound upon it. As we look at verse 23, again, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. You see, the righteous man looks forward to things of happiness, things of goodness, but on the second hand, the wicked can only expect wrath. This passage means that for the righteous, we desire only those things which are good. That ought to be our heart. But the, the wicked desire that which is wrong, or we would say that which is sinful. You see, as we compare and contrast these throughout the Proverbs, we've noticed that's been a pattern that goes through here. This is no exception. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. In other words, what the wicked desire is what brings God's wrath. What brings God's wrath is that which is not good, that which is opposite of what the righteous desire. Folks, it is a glorious thing to have right desires. And it is something that you and I ought to be praying for every day. God, correct the desires of my heart. May my desires match your will. May you help me to be submitted to your will. Because we see here that it is a sinful thing to have a wrong desire. Now, as we continue about the desire of the righteous is only good, notice he begins to give illustrations of this. Verse 24, it says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. 
The paraphrase or the explanation of this verse might be phrased this way. It is possible to do good by giving away and becoming richer. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. The word scattereth here in verse 24 has a reference to giving. It has a reference to giving to the needy. Giving to those who are in want. In Psalm 112 verse number 9, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says this. Psalm 112 verse 9 he hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever, his horn shall be exalted with honor. Helping those in need is a way of doing good. As a matter of fact, he tells us there in that particular verse that the person that scatters or the person that gives actually increases increases he doesn't become impoverished, he increases. But on the other hand, if we withhold from those which are needy, God will in fact withhold from us. It reminds us of 1 Corinthians 9 verse 6. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth said this, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. There's an old uh, epitaph on a gravestone. I don't know who it is. I don't know where it came from, but I came across this in the study this week, and he had written on his tombstone these words, what we spent we had, what we saved we lost, what we gave we have. I had to sit and think about it for a little while. What we spent we had, what we saved we lost, what we gave we have. So it is possible here to give and yet more comes unto you. And I believe God's word has more than just monetary ideas here in mind. He continues this thought of goodness being illustrated by our giving. Verse 25, the liberal soul shall be made fat and he that waters shall be watered also himself. Now, oftentimes we see the word liberal in our day and age. We immediately run to politics. We immediately begin to think, oh, liberal means something political. But the word liberal here means generous. So in verse 25, we might phrase it this way. The liberal man shall be rich by giving to others. He gives to himself. Liberal means generous. The word fat means prosperous. We see an illustration of this in Luke chapter number 6, verse 38. The Lord said these words, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So we see this, this goodness being illustrated in our giving. Remember, the heading is this, the desire of the righteous is only good. We continue this thought. Verse 26. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. We might phrase it this way. People curse the man who withholds his grain in order to drive up the prices. 
but they bless the man who sells it to them in their time of need. How fitting. How fitting in our day and age when we see people taking advantage of this. When we see people who have a product or a service or a need and they see instead of the good of people, they see an opportunity to profit from the people. The Bible's teaching us exactly opposite of that. It tells us that he that withholds what the people need for himself, the people will curse him. Oftentimes, and it was very common even in the day in which Solomon would have penned this, these words, it was very common in that day for the rich to withhold selling the grain during times of shortage. Anytime you withhold in a time of shortage, guess what happens? The prices go up. Isn't it amazing that so many years later, something that Solomon's writing about is fitting for today and we're seeing it in our society. You're seeing the opposite of goodness. You're seeing what the Bible says is something that ought not to characterize the life of the believer. So if you as a believer tonight are withholding in order to profit off of somebody else's misfortune, you are in fact not living the life of a believer. You are living like the life of the wicked. The people curse people like this. Why? Because they have a need. But the, the opposite is said that the person, the same people would bless him for not wanting higher prices and sells to them in their time. of need. notice it's interesting. He's talking about selling to them, not just them giving. But the reality here is so clear. Blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it to those in a time of need. And verse 27, continuing to think about the desire of the righteous is only good. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. We might phrase this verse this way. If you search for goodness, you will find God's favor. Remember, I began by asking the question, or making the statement rather, I have never met a believer who doesn't want God's favor. If we want the favor of God in our life, we need to search out good. If you search for evil, you will find it. You see, folks, whatever we find in our life, it's based upon what we're seeking after. If we're seeking after good, we will find good. We will find God's favor. But if you search for evil, you are going to find the curse that evil brings. One who seeks to do right will obtain the favor of both God and man. There are very few people in this world, very few people in this world who would refuse a good gesture on, by the, on the part of another person. If you were to go out into your community tonight or in wherever you live, wherever you are, and you were to say, listen, I desire to do good to somebody, I highly doubt you will find someone that says, listen, I don't want your goodness. We understand that goodness comes by those who seek after it. A virtuous person seeks after goodness. A wicked man seeks after evil. 
I love what it says in Proverbs 31, which is often referred to as the Proverbs woman. But in Proverbs 31, verses 28 through 31, listen what it says about this is the, the illustration here of desiring that which is good. Proverbs 31, verse 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Those who seek to do good will find the favor of God. On the other hand, we're given examples in Scripture of those who sought after evil, and the very thing in which they sought for, which is what Proverbs tells us, seeking mischief back in Proverbs eleven twenty seven, he that seeks mischief, it shall come unto him. One of the great examples in scripture is found in the book of Esther. And if, if you know the story of Esther, then you know that there was a man by the name of Haman uh, who had desired to do evil unto another. And he finds out that as he sought to do wickedness, as he sought to do evil, the very evil in which he sought, the mischief in which he sought, he ends up bringing it upon his own head. If you want to turn there, I'm turning over to Esther chapter 7 verse number 10. Esther 7, verse number 10. And it, it tells us here that back in verse number 9, Haman, it says, had made for Mordecai gallows or a place to hang Mordecai. And notice what it says, verse number 9. Behold also the gallows 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, listen to the words, who had spoken good for the king standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. You notice what happened there. Mordecai spoke good for the king. Haman tried to have Mordecai killed for that. And Mordecai, and, or Haman rather, ended up being hung on the very gallows, the evil that he sought to hang Mordecai on. This principle is all throughout Scripture. If you want to turn over to Psalm chapter 7, Psalm 7, verses 15 and 16. Let me give you just a few examples of this. Psalm 7, verses 15 through 16, talking about the man who desires to do mischief. He made a pit and digged it. And it is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. Notice what happened there. The wicked, what he, his mischief that he sought, the very mischief that he sought after came back on him. You're there in Psalm 7. Go over to Psalm 9 and look at Psalm 9, verses 15 and 16. You see this principle continues through Scripture. Psalm 9, verse 15. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hand. 
He who seeks good finds what? Finds God's favor. He who seeks mischief finds the mischief in which he sought as it's poured back on his own head. And you're there in Psalm 9, just drop down to Psalm 10 and look at verse 2. Psalm 10, verse 2. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. So those who seek to do good will obtain the favor of God. Those who seek to do evil will find the very mischief in which they sought to do. The desire of the righteous is only good. As we go back to our text in Proverbs, 20, or Proverbs 11, let's now look at verses 28 through 29 and consider this thought. The righteous shall flourish as a branch. The righteous shall flourish as a branch. Verse 28 of Proverbs 11 says this, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. We might say or state verse 28 this way, trust in your money and you will fall. Trust in God and you will flourish as a tree. Now the man that trusts in his riches rather than God is something that is condemned throughout scripture. You never find God instructing man to trust in his riches. Not one time do you see God say, listen, what you really should do is you should trust in your riches. We see the opposite of that. In Psalm 62, verse 10, we see one example of this. Psalm 62, verse number 10. It says this, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, here's what he says, set not your heart upon them. So very practically, if you come into riches or you earn and gain great riches, Psalm 62.10 says very clearly, do not set your heart upon them. In other words, do not put your trust in them. I can tell you there are people who put their trust in their riches. It's condemned in Scripture. We also saw our Lord deal with this subject in Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10, verse number 24. Mark 10, verse 24. And we'll notice what the Lord says here. The Bible says, and the, the, the disciples in verse 23 he says, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, what's really peculiar about this is what the disciples say next. Verse 26, and they were astonished out of measure. <laughs> they were astonished out of their mind, we might say. They are completely perplexed by what Jesus just said. And yet, here's what it says saying among themselves, who then can be saved? 
Now, you stop and you think for a minute, what were the disciples saying? They came to the conclusion, they came to the conclusion that if we can't trust in riches, if man can't trust in riches, then who in the world can be saved? Which shows us a little bit about the reality that the disciples had to be corrected in their thinking. But then Jesus, I love this, looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. You see, Jesus was not condemning riches per se, but he was showing them the reality how hard it is for us to not trust in those. Again, and if we think that we are beyond that, we need to be very, very careful. So we think about this again. He that trusts in his riches shall fall. The second half of verse 28 of Proverbs 11 says this, the righteous shall flourish as a branch. You might say tonight, how is me as a righteous person flourishing as a branch? How is this uh, practical to me? Well, scripturally, the Bible deals with this illustration of the righteous being compared to a flourishing tree or a leaf. Now, I know in our humanity, that's not very exciting. I, I, I want to be compared to something more than a flourishing tree or a flourishing leaf. But in Psalm 1-3, let's turn there. This is probably the most familiar. Uh, if you're in Scripture often, you probably know what this verse already says. Psalm chapter 1, verse number 3. This is how the, the, the Psalms begin with a very familiar portion of Scripture. Talking about the blessed man in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. In verse 3 it says about this blessed man, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Notice the picture there of the blessed man. The blessed man is compared to a tree planted by the rivers of water. That tree is filled with the water that it needs for its survival. There, the righteous are compared to that particular picture. Psalm 52, 8. Psalm 52, 8. It's amazing how the Proverbs use so many of these illustrations that we're so familiar with. Uh, Psalm 52, 8. The Bible says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I love this. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. You see, the righteous trust in not riches. They trust in the mercy of God. You see, the mercy of God is what we can, in fact, trust in. We cannot trust in our riches, but we can trust in the mercy of God. Psalm 92, 12 gives us another picture of this. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. 
Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. What a great reminder. The righteous shall flourish as a branch. Back in our text, Proverbs 11, let's move on to verse 29. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. We might state this verse this way. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will eventually have nothing worthwhile left. He shall be the servant of a wiser man. Now remember, the title tonight, The Life of a Believer. The first heading, The Desire of the Righteous is Only Good. The second heading, The Righteous Shall Flourish as a Branch. This gives us a picture of the opposite of a man who seeks good. This is the man who provokes his family. This is the man who provokes his family to anger and to resentment. It says that he will be brought to nothing. Listen, God is displeased with anyone who makes trouble inside of his own family. Whether it's a son, whether it's a father, whether it's a daughter, whether it's a wife, a mother, whatever the case is, God is not pleased. It says he shall inherit the wind. It's an interesting phrase. Let's use this as an example. How, what, can, I can I capture the wind? Can I grab onto it? I mean, we had, uh, we had wind last night that was crazy. To inherit the wind means you inherit nothing. You will be brought to nothingness. So that young person that causes trouble and anger in their home, God says as you do that, you are not seeking good, you're seeking evil, and eventually you will inherit the wind. You will eventually be brought to nothing. That husband, that father who is provoking and is not admonishing and nurturing his children, he will eventually inherit the wind. He'll be brought to nothing. That wife, that mother, the spouse, whatever it is, who is provoking, you will be brought to nothing. In this life, he says, you will be brought to nothing and the fool will eventually work for the wise. The man who is wise enough to choose goodness will find himself being turned away from the things of mischief. So we see here that the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And then finally, verses 30 through 31. Again, another reference to a tree. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Look at verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. We can state this verse this way. Righteous men and women are growing a tree that bears life-giving fruit. And all who win souls are wise. Now, what this is saying is that men and women draw goodness from the lives of the righteous. 
Whether we believe this or not, we present to a world what we truly are seeking and desiring after. The majority of people in this world, even with the wickedness we see on every hand, the majority of people are drawn to goodness. We're we're seeing that in this season of life. We're seeing, even in the midst of a lot of negativity and a lot of wicked things, we're seeing goodness in people, and people are rallying around things that are good. You know why? Because people are drawn to goodness. Now, if the life of the believer is a life of goodness, people will be drawn to our life. They want to partake in the goodness of that life. And I love the fact that he uses the example of a tree of life. We know a tree of life is a reference to eternal life. Now, oftentimes we read this verse and we we talk about this winning souls is wise and we only limit it to the area of, of trying to lead somebody to salvation. Solomon had something entirely different in mind. Now that's important. We ought to be talking about the Lord. We ought to be preaching the gospel. We ought to be telling people that there is a Savior. We ought to be telling them there's only one way that you must repent of your sins and you must trust in Christ alone. But this winning of souls in the context of desiring goodness speaks to the reality that the righteous man or woman understands that in their goodness... There is a desire that they would draw people away from that which is wrong into that which is right. My life ought to make people want to do good. Now along the way, if that leads us to the opportunity to be able to preach and teach the truth, praise God for that. But folks, don't lose sight of the fact of what a righteous influence is. You know, oftentimes we want to talk to people about Christ. We want to talk to people about the Lord. But we don't remember that we need to be careful about how we present ourselves even. If you try to present the gospel in a hateful way, what kind of a response do you think you're going to get? Or if you make it your point that, listen, I I just want to get you to pray. or I just want you to get to... Listen, your life is an example. And the goodness that you show, the goodness that you illustrate, the life of the believer ought to be a life that is characterized by a desire for goodness. Remember, we began by stating the desire of the righteous is only good. We should only want that which is good. You might say, what about that wicked person? Should we want good for them? Yes, we should. What about that person that's mistreated me? Should I want goodness for them? Yes, we should. We only desire good. That's the life of the believer. We ought to be influencing people to move away from the wrong way of life into the right way. You know, there are some people who've grown up in lives that they've only known that which is wrong. They grew up in homes where parents only taught that which was wrong. They didn't teach them what was right. We make a lot of assumptions as believers that everybody just understands Bible principles. And folks, I want to tell you, they don't. They don't all understand 
We throw out Bible verses like everybody knows what we're talking about. We use phraseology and we use expressions and statements and we think, doesn't everybody know this? And the truth is, no, not everybody does know these things. But you see what he says, the fruit of the righteous. We are to be producing fruit in our life. Good fruit. Verse 31, behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. We might state verse 31 simply this way. Even the righteous shall be rewarded here on earth. How much more will the wicked be rewarded for their evil? You see, the New Testament points to reaping, the principle of reaping what we have sown. Yet there are earthly consequences. Oftentimes we, we look at verses like Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9, which talks about be, be, reaping what you sow. Understand something that we will reap what we sow even here in this life. There is earthly consequences of reaping and sowing. There are eternal consequences of our sowing. Let's look at Matthew chapter number 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33. Of course, every time the Lord Himself taught, uh, we can look at this and we, we, we read it with reverence and we read it because he, he spoke with such authority. Matthew 6, 33 says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. You see, we've got to be careful that we do not overvalue this life, but we also need to be understanding that God has given us a life and there are consequences for what we sow. Every human being, every person, there are two, there are really two, two ways of life. There is the way of Christ and there's the way of the devil. We know what Christ's invitation was. Our Lord's invitation, he invited those who were burdened down with the load of sin. He said, you who are Burdened with the load of your own sin. That is the yoke or the weight of Satan himself. Jesus said to those individuals, he said, come unto him. And instead of taking on the yoke of Satan, take on my yoke. And he promised that he would give their soul rest. I want us to turn to that passage in Matthew 11. I want us to read these words. And I think it's so important because as we think about this principle of reaping and sowing and the fruit of the righteousness, this tree of life, remembering who we are, the life of the believer. Matthew 11, verse 28, here's our Lord's words. He says, come unto me, 
All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice our Lord's words, come unto me. That is the most gracious invitation you're ever going to receive. He doesn't say, come unto this other individual, come unto this place. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. This is the gracious invitation of the gospel. Christ says, come. He doesn't say, you can't. He says, all may come. He calls them unto himself. He doesn't say go, he says come unto me. To come to Christ is to come not to just a doctrine, not to an ordinance, not to a ministry, but to come unto Christ. Everyone who labors and everyone who is weary, he says, may come. He doesn't limit the call, but everyone who is weary and laboring, what is he talking about? They are those who are laboring in the wickedness of this world and the wickedness of their sin. He says, stop laboring, stop sowing sin, and come unto me. He promises something. He promises rest. You know, the rest that God gives, the rest that Christ gives is a gift. His gift is immediate, it's personal, it's effectual. He freely gives it to all who come to Him by faith. To come to Him is the very first step. We come unto Him first. He invites us to take it. Those of you under the sound of my voice, burdened and heavy laden with the yoke of the sin, of your own sin, Christ says, come unto me. He invites you to come. Come to whom? Himself. How do we come to Him? We come to Him as the great sacrifice for sin. We acknowledge that He is the sacrifice. And in Him we obtain complete and total rest. Jesus was not just talking about a rest from the labors of this life. He was talking about an eternal rest. Take my yoke, he says, and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is the second part of the instruction. It brings a further rest. This second rest cannot be realized until the first step of coming unto him is taken. This is where we mimic his life. You see what Jesus is saying about take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest in your souls. This comes after we've trusted in him as our only remedy for sin. There are people who falsely teach, hey, listen, go learn of him and you'll find rest. No, he says, first of all, you've got to come unto me. After you've come unto me as your only source of trust, then I want you to learn of me. Friends, what I'm getting at today is that is the life of the believer. Is to learn of Christ. Learn of him. 
We find rest unto our souls. We find that second rest. The first rest that we found is through his death, his burial, his resurrection. The second rest we find is the rest of copying his life. We rest in faith by Christ for our eternal salvation. And we rest in him by obeying him in this life. Remember the principle, we reap what we sow. Rest from things which are fearful. We understand that today we not only have rest if we're in Christ, we have rest from the guilt of our sin, but we can have rest even in the darkest, most uncertain hours. Friends, the reason that believers today can maintain their life as a believer is because of the rest they have in Jesus Christ. The reason that we don't, uh, that we're not fearful without hope is because we have rest in Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand something. There are people around every single person, every one of us, everyone who's watching this broadcast tonight, there are people around us who are terribly fearful. They are terribly frightened. They don't know what tomorrow holds. And I want you to understand your life is a demonstration of what you believe. Are you seeking goodness? Listen, when we realize what sin would have brought us to, when we realize what we were, we're sinners on our way to a place called hell for all of eternity, we realize that our desire ought to be, I only want to seek that which is good. Folks, one of the grand truths we have is we know that even though we are righteous, even though we're believers, we know we're going to offend God still. We know that we are going to meet with His correcting hand. We are going to be chastened. The Bible says He chastens those He loves. But imagine how much more, how much more, how worse, much worse it's going to be for the wicked. Listen, we ought to seek the good of not just ourselves, but we ought to seek the goodness of others. We ought to try to copy his example. We ought to try to keep his commandments. As we started off this message tonight by saying, the desire of the righteous is only good. Let me ask you tonight, what is your desire? I'm not asking you, do you want goodness for yourself? I'm asking you, do you want goodness for others? Do you desire goodness only? Listen, maybe tonight it's become a situation where maybe your heart's just gotten a little bit off track. Maybe your desires have gotten, gone a little bit haywire. Maybe they're not where they're supposed to be. We all come to that place in our life where sometimes we find ourselves desiring things which are not good, but the life of the believer ought to be one. The desire of the righteous is only good. Our desire should be good. Our intention should be good. Our motives should be good. Our thoughts should be good. These are the truths that you and I ought to demonstrate in our life as the life of a believer. Number one, by way of review, the desire of the righteous is only good. Number two, the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And number three, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And I would beg of you tonight, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not trusted in Christ alone by believing on Him, I pray that tonight would be that glorious night.
of salvation. We desire your good. I hope that during this time that when people see our churches, our Bible preaching churches, that they see people who desire the goodness of people. They desire good of people. Listen, people are struggling. People are out of work. People are in places they never thought they would be. Friends, we're never going to have a greater opportunity to demonstrate the goodness that we have in Christ and we have right now. During these times, during these hours, if this is true, a 100-year pandemic, if it's true that it's 100 years, this might be an opportunity we don't ever have again. We keep hearing people say, I can't wait till things go back to normal. You know what normal includes? Normal includes self-reliance. Normal includes trusting in riches again. We've got to be careful. Be careful that we who are believers live a life that is good. The Bible says if we'll seek after good, we will find God's favor. I want to conclude our thinking tonight with our benediction from the Valley of Vision. And then we'll have a hymn played and that'll end our broadcast tonight. But the benediction is found on page 332 of the Valley of Vision. It's entitled, Love Rest in God. And I uh, just want us, we'll read through this and then we'll have that final hymn. My dear Lord, I depend wholly upon thee. Wean me from all other dependences. Thou art my all. Thou dost overrule all and delight in me. Thou art the foundation of goodness. How can I distrust thee? How be anxious about what happens to me? In the light of thy preciousness, the world and all its enjoyments are infinitely poor. I value the favor of men no more than pebbles. Amid the blessings I receive from thee, may I never lose the heart of a stranger. May I love thee, my benefactor, in all my benefits, not forgetting that my greatest danger arises from my advantages. Produce in me self-despair that will make Jesus precious to me, delightful in all his offices, pleasurable in all his ways, and may I love his commands as well as his promises. Help me to discern between true and false love, the one consisting of supreme love to thee, the other not, the former uniting thy glory and man's happiness that they may become one common interest, the latter disjointing and separating them both seeking the latter with neglect of the former. Teach me that genuine love is different in kind from that wrought by rational arguments or the motive of self-interest, that such love is a pleasing passion affording joy to the mind where it is. Grant me grace to distinguish between the genuine and the false and to rest in thee who art all love. We'll conclude with the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me.